This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio, because as soon as the temperature rises, so do the many cool things to do. Come keep cool with amazing pools and the hottest nights at the coolest spots in Texas. Go to visitsanantonio.com slash summer. Hello and welcome to episode four of Brighton Rock, the Albion podcast that you've all been waiting for. Uh, here it is again. I have back with me Peter. Peter Marsh is back with me, my cohort. You've returned. I have. Excellent. And I've also got our first guest with us, um, special guest. Here's the man I'm going to refer to from here on in as the gent, or the Brighton gent. It is Mr. Raymond Wright. Hello, Raymond. Uh, good evening, Russell. And uh, How are you doing? Uh, Frustrated, but uh, <laughs> uh, sort of nervous. But is that, is that generally fine. with the Albion, or just generally? Oh, no, Albion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, indeed. There's plenty to be uh, frustrated with at the moment. Um, we'll get on to transfers a bit when we can in a moment. Um, just as an intro, then, Peter's back, of course. Um, we've got tonight Seagulls Over London meeting. We're actually recording from the Sir Christopher Hatton pub, where live. our meetings live, live <laughs> as such, where our meetings generally take place uh, bi-monthly. Um, tonight we've got Paul Cameron coming along a little la- bit later on. In the meantime, we're just snatching a bit of time to have a chat about a few things. Um, first of all, um, it's really a case of um, firing through a few things from the general world of football. I'll get on to the nasty subjects in a minute. First of all, Klopp and the FA Cup row. What's your views on that, quickly? I think um, he, he can't be everywhere all of the time and needs a break. Um, they're doing really well in the league, still in the European comp- competition, and he does have other people who can take charge of the replay. So, yeah. if the club are happy with it, mm. I'd go along with it. I mean, I'd probably agree with that as well. I do think he's come in for a bit of an unfair criticism, really, because I, th- I do think, all in all, it's, um, you know, they've been told they can have a break, certainly as far as the players go, I've no issue. Possibly, I do think there's a bit of an issue, maybe, with Klopp. I understand he would have made plans, but, you know. A little bit much, isn't it, really, Peter? I think his stance is firing up to the point where he doesn't turn up. I mean, yeah, it's insulting yeah. to the. Yeah, it's that, fair enough against Villa in the League Cup because yeah. he wasn't there, he wasn't in the country. Yeah, yeah. But to, to not turn up for a match himself, it's not like he's going to be knackered afterwards. He's going to. It's just to get, you know, he can manage a game perfectly happily without. So I, I would say for team wise, it's fine, although if he hadn't put out yeah. such a weak team against Shrewsbury, probably yeah. would have yeah. won anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, but not in terms of Klopp, I think it's an insult to the FA Cup. On the other hand, we played a team, pretty rubbish team, didn't see that bother about the FA Cup in the third round, so who am I to speak? True, I suppose that's it, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, it's a constant um, argument, really, about what, what we should do with it, the integrity and so on. We'll have further discussions on that, no doubt, in future episodes. Just rattling a few, few other bits of news that have come up. Matty Ryan this week, um, or last week, in fact, um, contributed to the bushfire campaign for the wildlife. Uh, $500 well, Australian dollars for every recorded save, I think it was, in the Premier League that weekend. Hats off to him there. I think Aaron Moy added to it. And then Brighton matched what uh, Ryan had contributed. Fantastic stuff, huh? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and the club made a contribution, I yeah. as well. Yeah, that's right. So, so pretty good stuff there. Um, in other news, City and... Oh, sorry, I should say Coventry City and Birmingham City sharing 50-50. Unprecedented stuff in the, um, in the FA Cup there. <coughs> Bit of a weird scenario. that I don't think that's ever happened exactly like that for a non-neutral match, so to speak. But that was a bit weird. Um, I'll rattle on to a few and other a replay things. replay as well, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, 
Billy Key's retired. He's had a lot of mental issues, uh, mental health issues. He's had to retire from Accrington this week. We'll probably talk about mental health issues in much more extensive detail, maybe get somebody on in a future episode. But that's a little bit sad to hear, isn't it? It's very, very sad. He's obviously done, scored a lot of goals for Accrington um, as the lower levels, and he's done really well for them. And it's one of those things where probably at football clubs it's not necessarily picked up on or... A lot of the time, I would say probably, and not necessarily people don't want to admit to it because it's a very, you know, obviously when you're quite young, male, you probably don't want to admit to having yeah, mental health problems. Yeah, it's a problems. big issue, isn't it? Um, so yeah. I, but I imagine with all the spare time on your hands, and, and you know, in terms yeah. of training in the morning and then having time on the afternoon and being maybe away from home at quite a young age, it potentially is quite a big issue for them. Yeah, say. Raymond, what's your take on it? I haven't really got one. I'm still sort of thinking about it. Really, it's. Uh, uh, I'll take a rain check. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that and on in later times. On to the next subject, one I'm really looking forward to mentioning, it will be it briefly. Um, Shaquille Pinas. Uh, <laughs> and do you know what the Ghostbusters are? Yes. Apart from the film, do you know what they are? It's um, Alan Pardew and his cohort, Chris Powell, at Den Haag. Um, <clears throat> they've had a banner erected in their honour, calling them the Ghostbusters for some bizarre reason. No idea, <coughs> no idea why whatsoever. But, additional to that, they've, got, they've been firing and doing quite well since they've gone in. We've all got a lot of love for Alan Pardew, of course. Um, but most, Q de Baluta. Exactly, on loan, yes. I was going to mention that as well. But they've got a guy called Shaquille Pinas who's been scoring for them. So, Alan Pardew's Pinas is doing very well. Firing all cylinders. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the problem with that, of course, is for the opposition, they can't keep a clean sheet if he scores. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Any further comments to add to that dreadful pun, Ray? There's always someone to bring down the mood, isn't there? <laughs> oh, bring down the uh, level of conversation. <laughs> I mean, Peter mentioned Baluta going there, and I think to go um, to there with those two uh, people uh, on, on the management side and coaching side, uh, it will help his game and mm. help him adjust. So Do I think it's a good move from the Albion's viewpoint that the Blues has gone do we think you know, Pardew danced when he signed him <laughs> I hope so what a wonderful mover he is <laughs> real dad dancer isn't he um, on to all things Albion now we'll, we'll go, go away from the Dangerous general subject. Football. oh we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> a few things again just to raffle through um, Aaron Connolly this week and I think previously as well has been systematically taking down his Albion picks initially on Twitter and then more recently on Instagram um, what do we think about that is there anything to read into it I mean, obviously, I don't have any background on that mm. other than the fact I've seen it mentioned on North Stand Chat and that sort of thing. I don't mm. follow any footballers on social media, so I've no idea. My only thought is I've seen there's quite a lot of criticism of him on North Stand Chat, yeah. and, he, and maybe there's similar mm. things happen on social media, and he entirely doesn't want to deal with it, yes. which I can understand to a degree. Yeah. You know, everyone forgets that he's. I've been. It's it happens quite a lot at Brighton. We build up a young player. Who we who regularly gets to the like said has been the new hero, the new everything. After that Tottenham game, he was everyone loved him. He was the new kind of the answer to all our problems up front. There was nothing we could, you know, no one else would get, you know, get close to him. But since then, he's not scored. He's struggled a little bit. And for the first time in his career, maybe he's getting a little bit of criticism. Yeah. Whereas before, he's been the great hope in the under 23s. He's been the great hope when he first came into the team. And I wonder whether he's he's not taking it very well, as I think probably a lot of 20 and 19 year olds wouldn't do. Yeah. And it's I, easy to forget these only 19. Absolutely, I agree with you. I think it's very difficult. And um, I think you know because we've got the pressures with the lack of strikers, Murray hasn't figured. Obviously, we've got this issue with the transfer window. We'll talk about that later. But um, what do you think, Raymond? Do you think it's a lot of well, pressure on him? I think he's a work in progress, and I think there's a, a lot being heaped on him 
we've only got the three strikers, uh, Connolly, Murray and Morpé, and the actual weight of expectation on Connolly is immense. And if we had the fourth striker, so he could be used more judiciously, and I think he came back from his sort of injuries uh, not quite as sharp as he was, and mm. perhaps was brought back into the squad slightly too soon yeah. as a result. But I think it's the weight of expectation, and rather than him coming on and being able to do a quick 10 minutes at the end of the game to build up his experience and to mm. keep his confidence levels up, um, I think he's, he's starting some matches where perhaps he's not really quite up for it. And, I mean, it's, it's lack of experience. He had virtually no league form before this season. Mm. He played, yeah. played about one and a bit matches, or if that, for when he was at Luton on loan last year. And I think you know, the pressure needs to be eased, he needs to be handled carefully, otherwise he might just disappear. The, prob the problem is, that if we don't sign a striker this window, he's going to be the same problem, yeah. unless he suddenly starts using Murray more, which doesn't look likely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, mean, the I agree with you, I think he could have done a championship loan, to be honest, before he came into the team more regularly. Hmm. But I, I, I'd go along with that, but they, they made a decision back in uh, at the end of August, for <coughs> whatever reason. Yeah. The, the good thing about Murray having not been used is that he's fresh. I mean, nobody can actually say that, yeah. that Murray's been overplayed yeah. and is knackered. Yeah, that's so, true. Which is what happened last season, of course, and then he, he ended up not scoring much second half of yeah. the season. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's lack of sharpness as much yeah. as anything else. Hmm. I, I, he isn't the player he was two years ago, but nonetheless, he has got experience. He is still, when he's out there, winning free kicks and things. And I think it, it, to use him and Connolly as... You know, mm. more evenly if that's yeah. the right way yeah, of putting absolutely. it I think would, would make sense yeah. I agree Partly. completely if, we, if we're not to sign a striker which is looking more and more likely we've got to use Murray more yeah. he's, he's yeah. the one player who can score potentially the goals to keep us up yeah. he's, he's the old head yeah. there and if he does get in the position yeah. he does, does get the chances and Murphy would benefit playing off him rather than just being the main player up front as well yeah so in a way it takes a bit of pressure off him yeah. but also if he, if he wins a, uh, a free kick just inside the opposition's half yeah. it, 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 it remove some pressure for a few seconds yeah. and then we have the opportunity of getting the ball perhaps into the yeah. into the danger area yeah. and, and we've you know, been quite different set pieces this year Webster's got a couple but three uh, Dunn's got two Duffy's got one and he's done a couple of other balls so we've got goals from set pieces this year hmm. yeah I mean yeah, so, I mean Duffy obviously injured at the moment yeah. but I mean he got got one yeah, you know, that's right. when he came in hmm. and, uh, uh, from a free kick so yeah. you know, um, I, I mean I I my slight concern is that the, some of the dead ball delivery, when gross isn't playing, isn't quite of the same quality. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. Final word on Conley. I was going to say, I, d I do agree that it would have probably benefited him to go out in this second half of year on a loan in the ideal world, obviously, if we had more strikers. But there we go. But um, anyway, moving on to other matters and um, other creative stuff, um, or creative attacking stuff. Uh, obviously, obviously, we've sealed the deal on Aaron Moy on a permanent basis now rather than on loan. That's good, I suppose, but it does mean that um, it looks like we've done that on the basis that Alexis McAllister isn't coming to us in this window, possibly not at all. Um, bit disappointing there. Obviously, um, that's you know he's a creative force. He would have been an untried talent, but it would have been good to have him on board, wouldn't it? What's your take on that, guys? Well, it's. I think with <coughs> Alan, uh, uh, with Aaron Moy. Um, it's a question, I think, of where he's used. And once or twice he's been used out wide, where he hasn't looked as effective as when he's been playing 
more centrally, when he played more centrally, as against Bournemouth in the home match, um, mm. just off the striker, he was much more effective than he was subsequently uh, playing against Aston Villa, where he started out on, effectively on the right wing, mm. um, almost in the sort of uh, position that some sort of knockout w w might have played. But it's, um, it's interesting that uh, Moyes' stats uh, are not as impressive as his play, because mm. uh, he's got the two goals, yes. He's only had the one assist, mm. and uh, I, I think it, you know, that's because he's being sort of slightly marginalised. So I think Potter needs to be more consistent in the selection of how people and where they're used to build up understanding. And I think Moy would benefit from that as much as anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. Well, um, Peter, anything to add to that? Just a slight um, point on the on the Villa one. I um, I would say that I think Villa marked him a lot more tightly than Bournemouth did. Mm. Bournemouth. Let, did left massive gaps between their midfield and defence and Moy kind of stood between them they were showing the, I was watching on Sky rather than live because I was away but I was like they were showing the, the clips and Moy was basically between their midfield and defence and yeah. so had acres of space to run into Villa on the other hand had two players on him and he'd been injured the previous week so yeah. I think that impacted him yeah. what he was on the other hand yes I agree he's, he's more effective when given that chance to play that sort of role kind of more centrally and McAllister is very bright and said to chase a player you, you own in a window and not get him, yeah. <laughs> it looks like that's going to be the case. It's so Albion, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I mean, you couldn't make it up if you yeah, tried. Yeah. If, you, if you made a movie where you had that as a plot, yeah. people would say it was too ridiculous. <laughs> you can't even yeah. sign your own player. Yeah. Due to um, this, of course, due to the fact he's on loan contractually yeah. until the summer. But uh, anyway, we'll talk more about transfers in general after the window, which closes tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday night. It's not looking good at the moment. We'll we'll see how it pans yes, out. Hope we're um, all delighted with our five new signings. By, yeah, uh, yeah. We're, we're recording an episode on Monday. Raymond possibly may be able to join us for that. But anyway, we'll we'll talk in more detail about transfers in general and wider the wider picture on if, Monday. If, if I could just make one comment. Yeah. I think the the window generally right across you know, the Premier League and downwards. Yeah. You know, not just for the Albion, but for most people, has actually been pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And there haven't been sort of startling things happening. The odd, interesting move, but, but nothing that you yeah, and get I think madly excited it, about. It, so it takes something. Not quite what's happening as a as a yeah as a rule. Yeah, it takes. I mean, it's reportedly quieter than ever this one, and it takes something, some sort of movement for our our action to come into play because obviously it relies on other people moving mm. here or there and different requirements but then being you hear adjusted. about Boeing going to initially go to Palace today and yes. Sanderberg going to Sheffield <laughs> United which is yeah, a hell of a yeah. signing. Yeah, a lot and of money but then there we go. But I have to say um, yeah, yeah, so I have, I have to say that um, I'm particularly gutted with Boeing. I've been a massive advocate of him. We've mentioned him on the show already. If you're listening Albion, please go and write because yeah. I'm Palace and Boeing. Yeah. Yeah, this is oh, that would be juicy. It would be delicious. But I'm a massive fan of him, and I'm going to be fuming if we miss out to that lot up the road. But there we go. Uh, if you, if we do, I wish him all the very worst. Similarly, of luck. they've got to sign Nathan <laughs> Ferguson from West Brom, who sounds a really good signing right. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, fullback who's out of contract. Yeah, season. we'll have to see. Anyway, um, a couple of other issues to go through. We want to talk about the West Ham preview, which we might do actually after the Seagulls over London meeting takes place uh, a little bit later on this evening, because people will start arriving soon. But what I want to speak to you about just before that is a quick quote from, um, from Potter from last week. Uh, this is obviously in relation to the last game. He said, if you don't score and then the opposition score, then you don't deserve anything. I think we've seen it that way. Football is not a beauty contest, which I think is an important point. 
there's no value for any style necessarily in terms of it's guaranteeing you anything or you deserve anything because you do it, this or that. The reality is we gave away a cheap goal, referring to the first goal against Bournemouth. Um, could you argue with that? And hard, hard to argue yeah. any of that, really. I mean, the problem is he doesn't show any signs of knowing how to deal with it. Yeah, it's a worry. We, we've survived the last two seasons on the back of a solid back, back line with Duncan Duffy and Ryan in goal and Murray up front. Now, he's come in and taken out Duffy... Hmm. Obviously, and taking out Murray, yeah. and I'm yet to see that we've actually improved in those areas. The start we were playing some really nice football, but I think even that's changed now. Villa second half we were awful, and Bournemouth, from the sound of it, while we controlled the game, we never looked that threatening really. Whereas Bournemouth, courses on the break a number of times and were, were dominant. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it was early season we were unlucky, I think, to not win games. Villa, I thought we were lucky to get a point at the end. They were by far the better team in the first second half. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and it's yeah you know, it's not it's not suddenly the football that we're looking for that we were after, which you can forgive if we don't quite win or something like that. So yeah, you were at the game. I mean, we won't talk about that too much now. But you were at the Villa game, weren't you? And I think it was certainly a game of two halves, wasn't it? Overall. Yeah. Although I think they were probably the better side, much better side second half, whereas we were slightly probably a bit better in a pretty poor first half. Right. Right. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I would say overall, if anyone deserved to win that yeah. game, probably they did, and we were holding on yeah. at the end. I just just on a footnote, really on. Um, a, couple of matters actually to do with um, Villa. Um, Target and Mings, they seem to be more yellow proof. In other words, it doesn't seem to be the case that um, when you know when, when our guy gets two bookable offences, he gets two bookings, he gets sent off and suspended for a game as well. Matt Target could have, I understand, could have been booked three or four times in the game against us. Not only is that annoying in its own right, but he also had the shot cross which led to the goal in, um, I think, the following match, which was the game in which they got the, the last-minute winner. Was that against Norwich, I think? Watford. Oh, Watford, that was it, yeah. And, and it was that last-minute winner in which Target was a significant part in them scoring. Pretty irritating in its own right, especially when we've had, against Villa, a player sent off for two yellows out of, out of two offences. Uh, and Tyrone Mings, as well, could have um, possibly have been sent off, and then he had a hand in something as well. So... You know. I, I would say that away to Villa, Moy was extremely unlucky with the first booking. doesn't defend why he dived in for the, for the second one. Mm. But the first one, he tapped it away. And just because it's right into the Villa bench, he got booked, basically. Um, players have kicked it. I've seen players this, this season, other seasons, just hit the ball out of play, smash it away and yeah. not get booked. Yeah. The inconsistency there is a joke. The referee against Villa was ignoring the fact that we were very poor, absolutely dreadful. Mm. Um, booked our players for pretty much everything that we, any tackle we did. Seemed to want to give them a free kick every time he could. Grealish, being Grealish, he seemed to want to let him give away with every single time he dived, he gave him something. Yeah. And yeah, there's at least one flattening of Moy that someone got away with without yeah. booking. There are at least one or two others as well. Yeah, it's, and uh, yeah, it's uh, the referee. The, the level of refereeing in the Premier League has actually, I think, generally gone downhill since far. Yeah, um, they just seem to not bother with decisions quite a lot of the time. Yeah, and yeah. they're even more biased towards notionally bigger clubs than they were before. Yeah, I think so. And I, also, this thing about the, uh, the the fouls, we 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 get absolutely nothing. Everyone seems to get everything. It does seem to happen a lot. I know we could be talking through Albion tinted coloured glasses, but actually. 
it, yeah, it seems too. Those people say we're lucky with VAR, and it's like, well, actually, no. Hmm. Most of the obvious decisions we get with VAR are obvious and yeah. really clear ones. Yeah. Whereas we get things like Dan Byrne goals disallowed when he's yeah. like a toe offside. Goals like the Arsenal, the David Luiz goal was disallowed against Arsenal. That's not lucky. You're yeah. about five yards offside. How is it lucky that that's been? Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Well, it's not, I mean, it's not talking... luck that that's been disallowed. The linesman should have made that decision. It was from a free kick. He's standing in line with the defence nationally. Yeah. How has he missed that? Yeah. Raymond? Well, I'm going to say, actually, I think uh, at least three players from Arsenal and that particular one were actually offside. It wasn't a question of... Yeah. The, it, it was just... I mean, I mean so you could have... And arguably, a fourth was. So, yeah. Um, what is the point of linesmen under VAR, then? Yeah. What do they do if they're not going to flag for offsides? That, that, if that had been... If, That's if, a good Brian, point. Ironically, if Ryan had tipped that over, they'd have got a corner because mm. he hadn't put his flag up, mm. even though he was five yards offside. And then, from there... They, if they scored from that corner, it would have been allowed. Yeah. Even yeah. though, because it wouldn't have been VAR checked for the free kick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just completely, ridiculous. completely agree. I mean, it's, they just seem to let VAR do everything. Yeah, yeah. And then that means if the keeper, if Ryan makes a brilliant save from Louise, hmm. they can get a corner and score from that. Yeah, yeah. And it's and not it's, disallowed. That's a very good point, Anna. I do think that's a major flaw in the current status of the way they're playing. If you're allowed to spot a guy's offside, you're standing in line with the line and he's five yards ahead, hmm. you really shouldn't be yeah. a linesman at any level, let alone. Yeah. Even at Sunday football, yeah. Sunday yeah. part level, let alone absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Premier League level. I think well, it's a question of how far you're going to go back uh, yeah. to to check something. And I think that um, if there is a dead ball situation, uh, like th th that one with Louise, that you should be able to go back and say no, that wasn't a corner because the guy was offside. Hmm. But it, in rugby, they have a very good thing where. They play the advantage rule much more, mm. and quite often I think in football, because it, they, a decision has to be made in about one and a half, two yeah. seconds outside, you yeah. don't get the advantage. Yeah. In rugby, they signal they're playing the advantage, yeah. and, and they play might go on for about an hour yeah. minute yeah. or something, I mean, sounds... and then they'll go back to where it was if no advantage accrues. That sounds far more sensible yeah. if it could be incorporated into the football world. But uh, well, anyway, it's an get... easy thing to do. You just use the same signal using rugby, yeah. and then everybody knows that the refs play advantage. Both sides do as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so and both uh, clarity. I would say to me, the decision should be should be the linesman puts his flag up. The linesman puts what he thinks, but play doesn't stop till the referee lets it. Referee blows his whistle. Yeah. So a bit like cricket, if the on the on field umpire gives it out, there's an on field signal, but no one stops when the flag is put up. Unless play, the referee blows his whistle. Play to the whistle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, moving on, because I'm conscious of time, and we're probably going to have to uh, wrap up this section of the podcast fairly soon as the numbers start to flood in for tonight's meeting. Um, we're one, one beer down, a few more to go. As you can um, tell by the uh, more impassioned <laughs> anti, uh, anti linesman comments. We're, we're, we're going to have a, try and have a chat with a few of the members of Seagulls Over London afterwards as well. So we'll, we'll talk a bit more about the West Ham upcoming game with them later. But just briefly from you guys, um, I don't know anything about team news availability in terms of the West Ham side, but um, form guide, pretty poor for them, not great for us either. It's a game both sides are looking to win. We desperately need to win this, guys, don't we? And uh, do you think we will? It's, it's one of those where the start is crucial. If they get a bad start, or you know, either we get ahead or they just don't start very well and we control the ball, the, the crowd will get on their back. Yeah. If it's often happened with these games and Albion concede five minutes in because they know this is going to happen, the crowd will support yeah. them and they'll get behind them and they'll support yeah. their team. I think what could be crucial for this game and for our season 
if Morpay can get another goal, he's gone eight games without scoring, seven of them in the league, and he did play the cup game as well. Um, and I just feel, if it, say for example, he got an early, early goal, not only would that boost the, the squad and the fans and get the home fans on West Ham's back, I think that could actually propel us on a little bit more and just make us feel a bit more comfortable about the squad we've got. That's even if we don't sign anyone We, we need uh, goals tomorrow. from somewhere. They've got to come from somewhere. They're not coming from anywhere other than him. I mean, the next high score has got three. I mean, talking about Warpo, I actually think he's been playing quite well. I mean, if you yeah. take the, um, the Villa game, I mean, he... Uh, good ball by Moy. Yeah. Uh, reverse pass. Warpo runs onto it. Uh, turns and shoots first time yeah. uh, his first touch on target goalkeeper spreads himself and he's saved um, when we scored first against Bournemouth uh, it was Morpé who, who actually got the assist got onto the ball and then held it up laid it back for uh, Ali Ressa who then scores the goal yeah. after in less than two minutes yeah. so he's had quite a lot of shots on target and good shots and good attempts hmm. and you know, there have been some good saves and I think he's been a little unlucky and uh, you know, that luck should change Yeah, and he should be getting uh, back in the net so it's not as if he's you know, blazing high, wide and handsome that's right, yeah I, I, and I think more pay, but I feel he's been slightly isolated there hasn't been quite the support yeah. for him yeah. and whatever reason people like Trossard who were coming in more centrally mm. earlier in the season Witness his goal against Everton, yeah. and, and witness the goal that was disallowed against West Ham very early in the season. He was coming in for some reason. I don't know if it's been coached out of him, but he's not coming into those central areas and not being picked up yeah. because he's not coming into the central yeah. areas. I wonder, well. wonder if that is a remit from from the manager. Who knows? We're, we can't. And, and we, which I think is a pity. Yeah, yeah. That's hand, a good point. Um, when we were playing Aston Villa, you had Trossard on, on the left. Wing effect for Moy on the right, uh, on the right, and yet I mean quite a lot of goals have come from the interplay between Trossard and Moy, and therefore by putting them on the diametrically opposite sides of the pitch, mm. that partnership, yeah. partnership hasn't had a chance to express itself. Mm. So if Potter can have some consistency of selection, where there are budgeting partnerships, have them a chance to flourish, particularly on Saturday. Yeah. And so give them a chance for those to, to, to have an effect. So as Peter says, so that we can get the upper hand, yeah. so that the West Ham supporters get on their back yeah. in that pretty soulless stadium, hmm. uh, then I think you know, we have a chance. Yeah. But not if we go to sleep and not if we do some of our yeah. silly errors that I mean, we've yeah. made. And that's the thing, we're playing much better, I'd say, than the last two seasons. But the last two seasons... We were generally pretty solid. We keep quite a, a fair number of clean sheets. We were pretty defensive, and we had Murray, who would get nick the goal for us somehow. Mm. And this year, we we are more susceptible defensively. We uh, we be able to make more mistakes, and we don't have that one striker who's going to get. If Malpe's done okay, I think generally, but we don't have that one striker who's going to take that one chance that you can guarantee. Yeah. If he has one chance in the match, I wouldn't guarantee Malpe will take it. Whereas Murray. Yeah, would. I think I think ironically our midfield had its flaws last season, and that's probably been our stronger area this year, our stronger suit. But um, yeah, we've dominated games at yeah, times. Yeah, Not yeah. taken uh, either the final yeah. ball or the or the that's right. or the yeah. or the final shot has not been right. So finally, for this section, just just really a, a reflection. I mean, I think on actually, picking on Peter's point, on, on the yeah. defence. I, the word that comes to mind 
as you were saying, is that we haven't had the same resilience defensively that I think we've yeah. had before. Yeah. And, and that's uh, worth a few points. Yeah, and, and I think it is. And we're not grinding out the wins. We're not getting the second goal. Yeah, yeah that's the big put, thing. When to put things to bed. Palace away being a classic example. And, and, and before, we, we did get two or three 1-0, about four, four 1-0 mm. wins I can think of. Last yeah. season. Three in a row. Yeah. Last season, Three in a row. And then the one against Huddersfield yeah. Yeah. Uh, in February, well. which well, made a big well. difference. Well, we need, we need one of those sequences of three wins in yeah. a row now, and that will probably that will sort most close of them out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and no time like the present, given the fixture list we've got at the moment. Yeah. In terms of West Ham, it's such a pivotal game because West Ham are in a really pressure situation. They've spent a lot of money. Things are not looking good. They look a very poor team, considering the squad they've got. Um, Moyes already will be under pressure, I would imagine, based on the fact they continue to struggle. And you look at the, the pressure they've also got from the fixture list. They've had an awful run of games, run of results, run of performances. They've now got a sequence where they've played Liverpool and lost, no surprise there, in the game in hand. They've now got us, and then they've got City and Liverpool away. So by the time they get out of the, the current sequence, they could be in some serious trouble. Say a lot the pressure's on beating us big time, Ignoring isn't it? The, um, the bit about the exact fixtures, a lot of this can be said about Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah. And look what happened there. I know, I know. This is the worry. We do seem to accommodate teams yeah. in this predicament, don't we? We always have. It's historically <laughs> <laughs> We need to break that right now, to I, be I, I think that's a very good point, that we've... Um, Teams that are playing badly come and play us and, and win or get a get a good result this season. That's been mm. that thing. Yeah. Strangely, I think we played played our, some of our best football against the better teams. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, Spurs, yeah. Arsenal, yeah. Chelsea at home, Liverpool away, even even City away. Yeah. And when we've been playing the less good, the more direct teams, the thing that I've noticed is that when we're playing teams managed by English managers, we do less well than we do when we're playing mm. against foreign managers. Because that chip and sawdust, yeah. that grit, that organisation. Yeah, I mean, Potter's probably, style is probably more similar to foreign managers. So, 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 yeah. so, so I Potter, think so, yeah. yeah. So Potter's sort of style of play suits playing against a continental yeah. approach. Not so much Burnley. But not so much the old-fashioned English approach. So hence Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United... Yeah, yeah. Aston Villa, Burnley, etc. I think that's a very permanent point, Raymond. I do think that's massively a thing, and I do think we, we have to break out of that. Doesn't don't bode we? well for this weekend, then. No, not really. But I mean, all, the all number of Watford thing, they yeah. went by Nigel yeah. Pearson. Now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know we all want a striker to be bought in the next sort of 27 hours, whatever it is, but actually, I wouldn't mind having a really class defensive midfielder who can actually shield the defence. The number of mm. goals we let in that have been route one mm. has actually yeah. cost us probably about ten yeah. points. Yeah. Yeah. Ten points now, we'd be safe yeah. and relaxed yeah. and everything else. But it's, it's certainly safe to say this game is going to be pivotal. If, if we manage to pull off a win, apart from distancing ourselves in, in the physical sense from West Ham in terms of points, obviously that would heap huge pressure on them. I really can't see them. I know... The Premier League can throw up some surprise results, Norwich beating City, for example, but I really can't see West Ham getting anything from the games at City and Liverpool. So if we can get that win, I think that will put yeah. immense Another pressure. Another win after against Watford yeah. or Sheffield United could actually really put us yeah, well clear of it. Because what yeah. I'm hearing from the fans is that they are starting to bubble over again. There's, there's signs that there's another protest and some more of what we saw, was it a couple of years ago, Burnley when they, home, yeah. they got really nasty in the stadium? And I think that's coming back soon. They, they are not happy at all. Well, I, think, I think Spurs are delighted <laughs> that, that, that they did not get that stadium. Yeah. 
It's, um, I've, read, know, I've read I've some got... stuff from West Ham fans and they, they describe the match day experience and when you put all of the little small little details together the walk up to the stadium no significant discernible colours no, no burger vans no merchandise a few other items like that it's you know all, all of the little bits and pieces together but, it doesn't make a match day experience being far from the pitch everything else it, it's, but it, it's the next the next ten days it's what happens in the transfer window if anything question mark but also, it's not just the West Ham game, it's the Watford game. If we can get two wins, get yeah. six points, not only will obviously we get the points and move up the table, ease the pressure, but also the confidence will start yeah. returning mm-hmm. to the fair. And even four, even four points would be, you know, a real... Yeah, I'd take that. If we stand here, if we sit here today, I would be tied with four points, draw West Ham probably, and then win against Watford. Yeah. That would be good. Pull ourselves clear, yeah, a little bit of relegation zone. Yeah. So, so I, I think the next ten days... Are pivotal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, 100%. Yeah. Uh, but we've been saying that for the last 10 days as well. <laughs> no, That's the problem, yeah. isn't it? No, but I think particularly, it's not, as you were saying earlier, it's not looking good on the transfer window side yeah. for whatever reason. Uh, whether, I mean, we've been linked with all sorts of people who are who they mentioned today in, in, the, in yeah. the Argus, but they obviously weren't going to release him now. Um, Samata was somebody we were linked with, we ended up going to Villa. Um, there are various others, but there's been nothing of sort of substance, and which is disappointing. And I think just a face coming in, fresh face, because Moy was already there, yeah, yeah. would actually help lift the squad. Yeah, I'm not even sure it needs I think to be someone the squad who up. gets a lot of goals up front would necessarily be needed. I think someone who could work with Mope and yeah. both of them maybe get a few goals yeah. would probably do it, you know, and kind of like, as you say, take the pressure off it on Connolly, he can yeah. then play from the bench and that sort of thing. It, it's not even, we don't even need a 20 goal striker or something like that. So yeah. We're going to get yeah. 10 goals between now and in the season. Yeah. The other we thing just is... need another option, a bigger option, who might score a couple and yeah. it's obviously not useless. Well, at the moment, we'd only need a suspension and an injury... Yeah, well, exactly, yes. You, you can swear if you really need to, by the yeah, way. One of the swear words. You are the boys in general, so... Just to say at this point, I could play up front for like 30 grand a week. I'm putting my... Uh, I'm, my gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm undercutting you, Peter. I'm doing it for 20 grand. I'm massively unfit, but, and, uh, but I do know literally know where the goal is. Not, like, not actually in terms of scoring in it, but I know where yeah. the goal is. So do I, sort of. I'll do it for 20 grand. Just speculating, obviously. Not that it's an option at the moment, given our centre-back position. But um, what about Webster being thrown up front? Well, I, I would say, who knows, maybe in the desperate scenario, Adam Virgo starts. And he scored three goals. So. We could, he could do an Adam Virgo, couldn't he? But, I mean, this is the Premier League. And the, the other problem is, of course, centre-backs is a bit of an issue yeah. in the short term. So because I mentioned the Logan will start the bench this weekend. Well, I yeah. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I mentioned that. because we, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we've got two or three. Yeah, yeah, we start Connolly at centre-back and Webster uh, <laughs> up front. See how so that works out. We do like to ch- change an experiment, don't we? Like we at the back. Absolutely. And we like height up front. Turns around One of the things as well, right-back. We're, we're apparently looking for right-backs. I think one or two things have fallen through both in terms of strikers and right-backs. In terms of right-back, um, of course, if we did sign somebody, apart from being back-up or possibly even serious competition for Montoya, you've also got the option there to then use Alzate in a more forward role on a more regular basis. I think he's obviously more effective there than he is playing as a right-back. Um, it would make things more flexible, wouldn't it, really? Well, I think I, I feel, feel for Alzate. I mean, take the Aston Villa game as an example. He starts off at right-back. He then gets moved... Um, up to uh, sort of the, the position that Moy had been occupying, sort of right of the three, 
yeah. uh, in attack, and then he's moved across to the left, hmm. that position on the left. So he ends up playing three different positions in the hmm. course of one game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Potter didn't put him in goal or hmm. centre-back, but that was about all he didn't All do. in good time, and, right? And, and, no, but you I mentioned mean, this in a previous podcast. It, <laughs> it is di- difficult for a, a player to develop and to d- develop relationships with other players hmm. if he's never consistently playing in the same part of the park. And I would agree with you. I think he's more um, effective when he's playing in midfield. Mm. I agree yes, completely. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Montoya's been a bit hard done by by Potter. Actually, I, last year I didn't really rate him, but this year I think he's been a lot better. Mm. And I'm surprised that he keeps tinkering my position. I, I feel Montoya deserves a, a real run on the side as right back, especially if they're going to play back four. Less possibly so as a right wing back, but certainly as a right back. I feel that Montoya deserves a run in the team, and mm. and I don't understand why he's not really getting one. It's, it, it feels like he's not been anywhere near our biggest problem this season. Yeah, he's not always been at his best, yeah. but he's generally had a reasonable sound of retainers. He's played his best against Palace, man. Oh, oh, yes. At one stage, statistically, he was the player who may, had made something like the third most tackles in the team, and about the third but he's barely you know, played most touches. Recently. Mm. So he, he actually works very hard, and he gets right down that right yeah. wing a lot mm. of the time. His crossing's not always been great, that's the one the one issue with Montoya, but, uh, which is why I'd say right wing back not serving so much, but at right back, I think he's been pretty solid generally this season. And mm. I'm not sure why they keep trying to play Alzate there when is it, he is definitely better further forward, or try to play Shalotto there, who is random at best, or whatever. Yeah. I, I'd just give Montoya a run, I'd, I'd give him a go. Montoya right back, Bernardo at left back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't understand what's um, wrong with that. Just, just very, very finally to wrap up. Um, well, we've got some dinner coming in, so uh, we'll just have to have a slight interruption here for a second. <laughs> Who's coming in? Um, but anyway, yes, well, we do love it when those things come come up. We'll have to get some more beers in as well. Um, now, I was going to say, final thing really for this section um, is to just quickly mention that a friend of ours gets a bit of tidbits of information. It seems as if it's a bit of a topsy turvy thing with us trying to get in a striker. The, the, the word is there is possibly a last moment opportunity to get something. There's something possibly afoot. We, we live in hope, don't we? We'll see what happens with that. Um, it's about 6.15, 6.20. We've got, what have we got now? Sort of about 29, 29 hours, hours. Sort of the windows slammed shut. Yeah. So we'll have to, to have our fingers crossed. We'll reconvene after the meeting with Paul Camlin that we've got tonight and try and get some views of a few of the other members. Hopefully and we can reveal some new signings. Yeah. <laughs> All that to come in part two. But from Raymond and from Peter, thank you very much. See you guys. Speak thank you, Russell. Cheers. Right, Raymond. Post Seagulls Ever London meeting. Thought it was quite good. What did you think, first of all? With Paul? I thought, thought it went well. Paul Cameron was good value as always. Yeah. Ducked a couple of questions. But well, it's expected, isn't it? Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> but um, interesting, though. But yeah, good. Uh, we're all clearly not busy enough on the transfer market if he can be up here the day before it closes. <laughs> he got a few um, calls, didn't he? We were yeah. peering over our sh- his shoulders. In, in, ter- in, terms of, in terms of West Ham, we seem to be having a record where people are having bad runs. We yeah. managed to perform badly. Yeah, so looking forward <laughs> so, to Saturday. So I'm not looking forward to Saturday because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just... Yeah. Hey, but if we get a couple of players in, it might lift the squad. And yeah. if we can get on the front foot early... Yeah, there we go. But Indeed. nervous. Exactly. And, right, well, making her debut on the uh, podcast is Alison, another member of Seagulls Over London, who I will be meeting up with. And you may hear more from on Saturday's podcast, which we're planning to do. But your, your take on it... Sitting here on, or standing here on Thursday night? The problem is, we have a reputation of not winning the games and getting the points which we're expected to get. get. So, 
That's what makes me a bit nervous. Um, yeah. In theory, yes, hopefully we'll get the points in, but Fingers crossed. You know, we're not good at getting the points when we're expected to get them. We've, so. we've always got a contingency plan, haven't we, Alison? We can always have a few beers, and yeah. that, that softens the blow if yes, there is one. There's, al- there's, always, <laughs> there's always comfort in alcohol. Yeah, and I've also got Boone with me. Boone is a nickname. I, I still can't remember if you've explained to me why you're called Boone. Is it to do with the 80s TV series with Michael Elphick? No. Well, huh. I, 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 I say no. Uh, there is an a, a indirect connection. I was called Boone by an Albion friend called Bob McGarrigal. And the story that he came out with was that where he worked, there was a guy who always rode up to work on his motorbike, and because of that, he was called oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that there were some similarities in appearance between him and me, and the nickname got transferred <laughs> to myself. That's, so it's a bit indirect that's and a bit like vague, the, That's the Chinese whispers of nicknames, yeah, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah, bloody yeah. nuts, that is. Anyway, so Boone, you've been a Seagulls Over London member for years, haven't you? Yep. Uh, probably longer than me, actually, I think. So you've been going, what, 15 years, 20 years? It's about 20 Something years. Something like that. Yeah. How have you found it through the years? Pretty good? I have. It's, yeah, I, have, I found it good. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's got its bigger, bigger since we've gone up the leagues, which you sort of understand. And um, it's always been interesting. Good speakers, interesting information about the club. Uh, some good members, yes. nice people, um, genuinely care about the club and take a, a real interest. Um, yeah, and and it's a chance to have a few beers as well. Exactly. That last bit is the main motivation for me coming. It always seems to come around to beers again when I'm having these conversations with people. It's a bit weird though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's for the podcast. So Boone, you're, on your, you're making your debut on the podcast. We're talking about West Ham as well. We're chatting on Thursday night after the Seagulls are on the meeting. We've got West Ham on Saturday. Massive game, pivotal game, isn't it? Absolutely. Six, a six-pointer. Yeah. yeah. We I'm, keep saying that, and then do, we get one. Do, yeah. <laughs> do we need to win this, or do we just want, want to win it and need at least a point? Or do we need the three? Well, I think it's very important not to lose. Yeah. Um, yes, that, that's the first thing I would say. A win would help give us a bit of um, a bit of leeway. Yeah. So it would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, but certainly to not lose. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, I've known you for quite a while, Boone, and I know you like your beers. I know you like your football. We had some great conversations. The one thing I have never known until tonight was you've got a bit of a musical strand to your. Uh, or string to your bow. Yeah. Um, so you've just sold me this album tonight, which I'm going to go home and listen to. Good. If it's good, I'm going to plug it on the next podcast. Yeah. If it's bad, I'm going to lie through my teeth and plug it on the next podcast. Yeah. Um, I might try and put some kind of audio clue in for those that are in the know to tell them whether I'm actually being truthful or not. But it's, describe it for me just briefly while you're on air. Yeah. What's it called? It's called Southeastern Songs. Yeah. And it's basically songs that I wrote myself. Um, South East means both South East London where I live and South East England. So yeah. You've got Sussex with a song about the Albion oh, called Seagulls. Nice. Track five called Seagulls, by the way. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of songs about Kent where I was born and grew up until I was ten. Okay, we're going to let that go. That's fine. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Kent, Sussex, London, South Eastern songs. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing that. that good, sounds thanks. good. Yeah. So that's going to be my enjoyment over the weekend. 
is it going to be on my only enjoyment? I don't know. It depends about the West Ham game. We'll find out. By the way, a couple of people said, I think yourself included, where is this place that we're meeting on Saturday for the football? So, us lot, the Brighton Rock people, some various WhatsApp groups and this, that and the other, we're all meeting in Hackney Wick at a place we're not quite sure the name of. It's something like howling, the Howling Tank with hot, pizza, hot tank, something to do with that. Something like it's, that. Yeah. Howling, yeah. But if you type in craft beer, Hackney Wick, We'll be there, yeah. It's really good. Fantastic beers in thirds and two-third pint, uh, two-third glasses. Proper way of doing it, isn't it? Can't get my head around all that. But I'll just, well, just have a few drinks and I'm sure we'll be fine. Anyway, good chat to you, Boone. See you there, hopefully. Alison, see you there. Absolutely. Speak to you then. Cheers for now. Right, so, final segment of this podcast. We've got Peter still here with us. But we also have Tony... One of our Seagulls Over London members, long-standing. Tony, what's your, uh, well, first of all, your take on this evening's event? Do you enjoy it? Very much so. Paul Camelin is a very uh, supportive member of Seagulls Over London. Over the course of many years, um, Paul has been one of the most uh, um, people that has, shall we say, has uh, brought along many members of the club, whereby Paul has actually just sat back and let the person chat away, talk to the fans, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, very much appreciated, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a good guy, isn't he? And uh, it was a good night. I thought it was quite entertaining. Um, a few bits of insight we can't partake online, but uh, I think, all in all, it sounds like... Things are in a happy place still with the Albion. Uh, let's hope things go well with the transfer window tomorrow. But uh, tell us quickly about your Albion supporting connections, because you are technically a Chelsea fan, aren't you? But your other half is Brighton fan through and through, and you go to tons of Brighton games. So it's a bit of an unusual scenario. Tell us about that. It is. I mean, I met Kirsty through work um, I realised that she was a Brighton fan and she realised I was a Chelsea fan. Um, I went to the Goldstone ground. Um, I went to uh, sort of Fans United. I was there that day. Went, ah. on, went on various marches, uh, especially the one along Park Lane to uh, the, what was then the Football Association headquarters. Yeah. Um, just before, I think it was a Fulham game in the afternoon. Um, protest at Wickham, uh, where we all basically refused to leave the ground. Yes, sit-down uh, protest. Sit-down sit down yeah. protest. So um, she realised I was Chelsea, I knew she was Brighton, and um, how many times do you find someone uh, <laughs> of, of an opposite sex that actually uh, enjoys football? was a Brighton fan and for many years Chelsea and Brighton would never have played each other so it was always the question what would happen if Chelsea and Brighton ever played together uh, you can argue we still haven't <laughs> apart from on uh, New Year's Day that's true yeah um, so I always said that um, I got a Brighton season ticket Chelsea got a, 
uh, Kirsty got a Chelsea season ticket, and we just decided that it was never ever going to happen that Chelsea would play Brighton. <laughs> when it did, um, then uh, Kirsty went in the Brighton end at the at Stamford Bridge. Um, I went in the Chelsea end. Then when at, we were at the Amex, uh, I always stood with the Brighton supporters. So um, good man. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I didn't jump up when Chelsea scored this season, so I actually you know, sat down and thought, yeah, fair enough. It's an unusual dynamic, but I think it works well. It does, very much so. As I say, how many times do you actually uh, meet uh, a member of the opposite sex who's actually a rabid football fan, So, and she is, so, uh, and her dad... She comes from Eastbourne. Her dad was a Brighton fan, so hence, uh, yeah. you know, when I met, um, we always went to the Brighton games when Chelsea weren't playing. Yeah. So I've done the Goldstone, I've done Gillingham, I've done Withdean, I've done the Amex. So I've, I've paid your dues. I've paid my dues, yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, so. you're an Albion Chelsea fan. Thank you very much. <laughs> very kind. Anyway, good chatting to you as always, Tony. And you, Russell. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Thank you very much. Podcast Network.